All right, we're back on this uh, podcast, and I've got Angus Bradley coming from Australia here today, and we were just uh, chatting here and a little bit about Instagram. I think it's where we were introduced to each other, and I, I was mentioning how I'm personally not on my own Instagram. I have someone that that runs it for me. I kind of create the content, but I, I try to avoid it for the most part with uh, what is mostly just like you get so much negative uh, stuff in it. And I, I certainly have stirred the pot enough myself to, to probably have earned the negative stuff, but I don't think you need to. I think it just lives there. So, you know, I, I, you know, we're, you're actually, I'm not, I see half of that. But would you agree that it's more that there's this, there's nowhere in between. People either think you're the scum of the earth or people treat you like you walk on water on social media. And that is the nature of the beast. It pushes people to those ends. But like, and that's one of the things that I feel like why I appreciate the little relationship and the interactions we have have, because you're one of those rare people where you're one of the only people who's ever came and left not a disparaging comment, but a disagreement and liked the post and then just sort of moved on. But then you still keep liking my posts and stuff like that. And like those interactions to me are so fucking rare. The people who would disagree with you, but then still like the post, still like, like your next cool idea, like celebrate your wins and, and the disagreements. Yeah. I, well, you know, I mean, social media is, I feel like I'm the very end of the generation that did not grow up with technology. And, um, you know, the first time I sent an email would have been in 2004 when I was 24 years old. The first time I had a cell phone was 2007 when I was 27 years old. And so I feel like I have a different kind of relationship with social media because the first, like I, I, I can remember being on Facebook. Uh, I think the first time was like 2006 or something like that, you know, and, but it was, it was like just a very different kind of an animal. And, I didn't get on Instagram until pretty late and I didn't really understand like, what is this thing? And it's, if I was trying to explain to myself, like my 10 years past version of me, like, Hey man, this is essentially like what your financial professional life is going to kind of be based on. Like, you're going to, you're going to create weird conceptual things, post them on this fucking realm of the internet that's mostly videos and pictures, but like also some pictures of words. And uh, you're going to like basically sell shit that way. It would just make such a like zero fucking sense. And then like, there's no way to, to, I don't know if anybody saw this coming, but it's such a bizarre world. I like, I enjoy the bizarreness of the world, but I think it's such a great way to just view humanity. Like, like to take this, fucking crazy view of like oh this is how our species like creates hierarchical systems and responds to threats and uh like rises in power and it's crazy i don't know like i'm i'm just curious like you're fully in the position where like i think we're the sex organs of the machine at this point i'm completely scared of like ai and all that stuff. I'm 30 years old and it already feels like things are moving too fast for me 
I actually, I, I come from a journalistic background. I'm more qualified to write news propaganda than I am to prescribe exercise, technically speaking. Um, and it was the real primitive way that you attacked Instagram that I've actually found so inspiring because like you didn't know how to use Instagram, but you kind of broke it because you were just using it like Facebook and you were posting these silly backgrounds with just text all over it. But you were just lobbing these fucking hand grenades and like they were so aggressive. There was just newspaper headlines. And people, everyone's got Canva Pro, everyone's got the mic on their chest and everyone's got the new DSLR and everyone's like, oh, you got to make sure your content looks slick. And I was like, here's this fucking guy. Because like I had never found a sustainable way to make content because I truly believe that social media is a presence. It's a plate that you have to spin fucking daily. And I like, I, I've experienced that. I see so many other coaches experience it where they, they get, they want to share their ideas so bad, but they just don't understand. They don't have the energy to produce a fucking video every day. And I saw you doing that. I was like, I can fucking do that with my back. That's exactly how I want to share my ideas. I don't have, I don't have the sexy body or anything like that. Like I can use this thing like Facebook. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's interesting. And like, I'm really appreciative for the platform that social media is for better or for worse, because guys like me didn't speak up in gyms before I got shouted to the back of the fucking room and I've been kicked out of gyms for my opinions and, and things that I've said to other coaches face to face and in real life. So social media in a certain sense, uh, created a really safe space for me. And I know we used to joke so much about keyboard warriors, but like I, I was a keyboard warrior back in the day. I was like, fuck you, PMID, that like really, really annoying guy who had no clients. So just sat there on social media all day. Um, but yeah, I'm like, I feel like you can come out. There's this new age of keyboard warrior, which is just like, this is just a safe space. to Just talk about mm-hmm. like anything. And it's, it's demolished this fucking hierarchy because anyone can just get on there and just ascend this kangaroo court effectively that's such a really fascinating way to to kind of look at it i think um so i mean it's it's funny because the first person i had on this was uh was christian thibodeau and you know we're about the same age i think he might be a couple years older than me and for the most part you kind of get like quasi older middle-aged guys complaining about that element and the t-nation crew yeah yeah, I mean, and and what like, but there is kind of what you're pointing out here a level a leveling of the playing field and like an opportunity for voices to break through that never would have been able to before on on just like because it's the other way was like well I kind of know a guy like I'm big I'm smart that's exactly and I know what it was yeah. And so, like, that's kind of how the world works when you, you know, I, I always say, like, uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of the, of the story, The Wizard of Oz. I really am. And in particular, like, the life lessons from it of everything's going to look amazing. You think you're on this pathway towards destiny, and the end point is going to be this incredible thing. There's a fucking wizard in a castle. Holy shit. But then, like, you pull back the curtain, and you're like, ah, that's it. Like, this sucks. And um, and that's usually how most things in life kind of work, where you're like, oh, my God, I'm lined up for the career of my dreams, this the girl of my dreams, this fucking life. And then you're like, oh, this kind of sucks. Like, it's fucking bubblegum and duct tape holding this thing together. It's coming apart at the seams. And, like, that's usually, like, and then you're like, oh, the fucking world works by just, like, you know this guy and then you get plugged into this thing, like, that's it. And then this fucking guy that's supposed to be at the top of the food chain just sucks. 
This yeah. is terrible. But like, if you actually have a level playing field and just like by whatever strategic move that just fucking cracks through. Yeah, that's a cooler way. That, that's a very interesting way. And it hasn't, it hasn't ruined the Monopoly table that bad. Like a lot mm-hmm. of the big dogs before social media are still big dogs. It's knocked a few off. It probably just should never have been there in the first mm-hmm. place. But it did sort of just like, it was just that nice amount of destabilization that I think was just so necessary for an industry like ours that is moving so fast. And so few industries have that opportunity to just get this big shakeout and like, I hate, and like I said, I keep backflaming, like I simultaneously hate and love the impact of social media on our industry because I talk about it with my mentor all the time. It was just this slow thing where no one publicly admits that social media runs a lot of, a lot, a large chunk of the hierarchy of the industry and coaches will still tell you, it's like, it's not important to put out content. And I'm like, it's not because like at the end of the day, training people is the fucking thing. And I never want to get away from that. But I'm like, oh man, like just like what it can do for your business. And just if you actually enjoy sharing ideas and working with people, it's like putting your time into your content, putting your time into teaching. Like mm-hmm. maybe that's what, and, and the training product is changing. Like we're seeing this trickle down impact because so many, even to the gen pop, when I came into the industry, everyone was telling me the gen pop don't want to learn. They just want the fucking result. But you look at James Smith, he's the biggest personal trainer in the world and he doesn't train anyone. He sells education. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'll teach you how to count your fucking calories yourself. Um, so like that's also been this really interesting aspect, the way it's just pushed everything into education almost. Yeah. I mean, look, like I, I personally think social media is the new currency of the world. Like I think it's more valuable than actual money. Um. You know what I mean? Like whatever, like, and it's, there's like fake ones. You know what I mean? They're like, this person shouldn't have 400,000 followers. There's like something <laughs> missing here. Like they get like 600 likes per post and they have 400,000 followers. Like this doesn't make any sense. But when you see all of the pieces kind of line up and like someone has this in like that, you are, you are in a very stable place professionally right now and and probably even in the world economy more so than actual cash money you know what i mean like it's a it's an incredible you can't buy a red hot social media like something that's actually getting interaction like it does become a bit of a living thing like it's a this little garden that you water now so i mean i'm just like a huge categorical thinker i like labeled everything like i try to figure out the recipe and um, you you kind of pointed out, and it's exactly correct. Like I was just creating newspaper headlines that were the most annoying picture I could possibly find as the background, and that would actually try to say something. But it was the newspaper headline. It's exactly what was in my head. Like that that and um, you know, do you think there there is any kind of recipe for social media? Like I know John Goodman kind of is a believer in like a recipe for these things. But I'm not sure because I think that you and I are fairly similar in our approach in terms of being like, you know, basically kind of like, uh, what did Bill Hartman call it? Um, Industry terrorists. Yeah, yeah, no, I see it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm pretty romantic about it. 
I do have a musical background. And so I think there's some aspects of a formula. Like I do agree that when you look at that algorithm, it's something where you've got to stroke it every day. You look at the big accounts that are growing. Like no one's blown up posting once every three days unless you're just the best thing since sliced bread. Like it's it's almost impossible. You've got to be like a powerlifter who's just you know, in training, yeah. setting unofficial world record. Like you've got to spin the wheel daily. But I think so many people struggle to be themselves and that then impedes their ability to show up again and again and again. And I think like for better or for worse, I am myself. I try not to censor myself too much because I believe deep down I'm a pretty decent person. I'm coming to that. And like, I think that's the thing that, and again, a lot of trainers who came into the industry when I did, I came in like just as social media was really fucking really starting to pop off just as CrossFit was really becoming a thing. Um, Sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Um, and, and yeah, and everyone everyone was just drilling into me as a young trainer in the industry. It's like, you have to act and be a certain way and you have to dress a certain way. Like I was even getting in trouble for making content with chalk on my uniform in the gym. And they're like, that's unprofessional. I'm like, what is, like, I feel like professionalism is a buzzword in the fitness yeah. industry. I usually say people, trainers who are shit at their job, they just <laughs> like dress extra nice and they show up 15 minutes early to make up for it. Like that's my idea of professionalism because like, or like what it really is, is like, are you good at the fucking job? Like, yeah. And, and that's what I have learned. Like if you have the faith to be like, I'm just going to trust that if I can help people, the, and, and, and then it also allows you to connect with people who you're going to actually want to work with. Because again, if you're just behaving a certain way, you attract this weird thing that's also behaving a certain way that you can't hang out around because you can't be. And like this whole thing of just not being yourself compounds in every aspect of your business. Because you know, again, it's like the identity of a trainer, you know, which, and I'm deliberately trying to break that down with the silly haircut and like, yeah. So there's, there's this research area that's fascinating because, you know, if you find professors, they'll fucking find a way to research anything. But there's a line of research that actually researches inter the, in the dynamics of the relationships inside of faculty departments in universities. And um, they basically know that there's like a split amongst professors where some of them are actually great professors and great researchers, and they just pursue that, that line. And then there's the other group that become administrators. And what's fascinating is that they reach a conscious level of understanding that they're actually not very good at what they're supposed to be good at as a professor, but they're smart enough to understand that they can keep their job, and so they go into this administrative route. And then there becomes this terrible power struggle inside departments between the real researchers, the people that are actually experts in their area, and then the controllers of the administrative side. And, um, and it's fascinating, and it's almost like the people that are really good at research, they're usually so much in their own world that they don't even realize that like this happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're oblivious they're like, to it. Yeah, because they're just like, I fucking love, you know, mTOR. Like, all I know is mTOR. Like, that breathe and sleep and just think about this pathway and fucking molecule. And meanwhile, they're getting, like, railroaded out of their job by somebody that's nowhere near as intelligent as them. But, like, yeah, basically button up and, and knows how to play the game of, like, oh, now I'm the fucking dean of the college. And we'll pursue um, as well, even the research that aligns with their specific interests and like kill off their research dreams and recourse the ship. And 
So it's weird, man. There's so many weird, like, power struggles that occur that initially don't make sense. But when you zoom back from it, it's like everybody's looking for their own security or their own ability to exert power or control or whatever it is. And it's kind of like the threats that they perceive amongst other people will, you know, so number like that, like, and then number two, like I, I, I do have this belief about that. There are kind of buckets that will lead you towards success. And one of those buckets I just look at is like personality slash charisma. And when I think about developing that bucket, I, I look at it from the perspective, from the perspective of you have to display your authentic self. Which is a bullshit buzzword thing that, like, you know, it's so uh, cute and it makes me sick when I say it. Yeah. Yep. But I'm like, I had to okay, go to therapy this year, so I'm wrestling with all these terms. Like, oh, I actually have to love myself, and she's like, yeah, fucking deal with that. Like, yeah. But if you unpack it, is where it gets interesting. So it's not like this fitness platitude bullshit thing. Like, oh my god, your authentic self, fucking, you know, inner child. And but it's kind of like. If you actually can identify your fears, you know what I mean? What, when does fear arise in you in response to stimuli? And then you get to the point where you're able to work through it and oftentimes figure out that I'm afraid right now because I have a polarizing thought. Like this is my actual real fucking thought. And then if you're able to realize when and when not to share that polarizing thought, but more often than not to actually fucking share it in your own words. I feel like that's the thing that is the expression of the authentic self that will be noticed from the perspective of like, Oh, that's who this fucking person is that makes them different. And all of a sudden, like, I don't care who you are, what you there's, there's ways in which like the other buckets to me are aesthetic and knowledge, skills, and ability. And then it's kind of like, how do they integrate with each other? But so many people are terrified. I mean, just plain and simple, terrified, fucking everything. And then they, they never get to the point where they're able to break through their fear. And so I see you as someone that I respect the ways in which you actually name names and say your actual thoughts. So, like, you know, what? where does that come from for you? Um, I am rethinking that, honestly, as I grow in momentum. Uh, and I always try to take a giant swing upwards if I'm ever going to name anyone. Because I honestly, and I will say this to anyone, I don't feel bad talking a bit of shit about Squat You because that book is flying off the shelves. He'll be fine. Uh, and, and, and I'm still a while off suck being quiet about that guy but there's been some other people that I've named and I'm getting to a point where I like I have this self-doubt that I need to acknowledge and be like okay I'm up I am starting to get a little bit influential I do need to not go directly in on some people um but then again like I always like I, I feel like I am always coming from a good place that's more me opening myself up to external feedback like I see the way some people react and I know you felt this when you made remarks about Ben Patrick, like you just saw, it's like, it's like you said something about someone's mom and you're like, 
Dude, this is an exercise guy. I'm talking shit. Like we always talk shit in the gym. I can talk shit about your trainer. Relax. Mm-hmm. He's selling a lot of knees over toes programs. Like it's going to be fine. And like, there's a really valuable point here that I can use this big sacrificial cash cow to make. And it's not yep. even going to affect him. Um, right. And I didn't even say anything about him. That's what oh, I and that's what's do. crazy. People and, and <laughs> people will take what you say and read into it. And it was really just their reflection of it that they'll share to them and say, yeah. like, I wasn't saying that. It literally was like, if this guy feels knee pain in a forest and no one's there, does he actually feel knee pain? Like, that doesn't mean anything. But I That's some real shit. I, it's like, what did I fucking say Voldemort's name? Like, oh my God, he who shall not be named. Get over it. Like, what the fuck? It's a person. Ben Patrick limping off a basketball court would be as destructive as Liver King sitting down and demolishing a plate of ratatouille. And then asking the chef, be like, what's in this? It's fucking awesome. <laughs> exactly it. And it's just, yeah, the whole point was to point out, hey, if you base your entire career on one thing and then that one thing goes to shit, it's not like, like that's fucking crazy. You know what I mean? And, and I think everyone acknowledges, like, it's we all love what he did for movement optimism and shoving the knees over the toes. It's like, it is possible to appreciate the huge co- and very real contribution that this guy made. Yeah. But like a lot of these figures that come through, there's baggage and maybe they have an incomplete perspective and, and imperfect people do get thrust into the spotlight. And in a certain way, he probably didn't, I know he's a very ambitious gentleman. I doubt he expected it to get to the point where it is and, and you get so wrapped up in it. And then, so maybe he can't say it and you're saying it for him now. And like right, you are doing right. him a favor ultimately. It's, you know, I, I just like it when you get branding levels like that are like secondary tertiary because there's a knees over toes girl, Being like a guy. The, you know what I mean? And like a kid and, and then a dog and like all these, you know what I mean? It's almost like there's action figures now. Uh, and it's like, what do you do? Like, this is now like an, a thing that's consuming your life. It's like being a great, like a one hit wonder rock star where like 30 years later, everyone's like, no, play that one fucking song. We don't want to hear anything else out of you. Yeah. Play it, play it again. No, just play the chorus for 30 minutes, actually. We don't even want to hear the buildup, just the fucking chorus. And you're like, oh, no, my whole life is just completely revolving around this thing. Like, fuck. And so, yeah, I just, it's so odd. And it's like, so it like, and I feel like it points out in some ways, like you can create anything from just one simple concept. It can blow the fuck up if it just like hits the right button at the right time. And it's like knees over toes. And it's like kind of perfect because it does strike the level of the overall fitness scene of like, this is the fucking hot button. This, yeah. like, you got to be shitting me, but it is because it's like such a weird thing that stuck around for so long. Oh, you should never let your knees go over your toes, Johnny. It's going to fucking blow your whole shit up. And it's like, no, no, I'm, I'm the fucking guy that says just this thing. And it's Wait, here's the thing. There's still people that the message haven't. Re- Have you had people come up to you when you're working out and you'll be doing something in a vaguely dorsiflex position? And this guy will say, hey, Have you heard of knees over toes? Going, like, Fuck me. Like, how are we still having this conversation? But it's like, it does take these things get so big and we're like, everyone knows about this. Like, I saw Usher. That's when I knew we hit peak dorsiflexion. I saw Usher, the music artist, leaving like fire emojis in the comment section of Ben Patrick doing split squats. And I was like, this, this can't get any bigger. But then sure enough, 
the next day I was just walking backwards down the beach trying to get a bit of a pump in my quads. Some guy's like, you heard a knees over toes guy? I'm like, <laughs> that's that's really funny. Like that's just... he's training like all my favorite Hollywood commit. He's I still think Ben Bruno has him when it comes to the ultimate celebrity roster. Like that guy's mm-hmm. just he's he's living Lord. the dream. Yeah. But Ben Patrick is coming for him. He's getting like Tom Segura. Sure enough, Joe Rogan's gonna blow his knee out in a jujitsu tournament any oh, day no now. Question. He'll be calling yeah. him up. I mean it's it's amazing. You know, it's funny because the place where I just work out at has a ton of celebrities and the people that train them, nobody knows who they fucking are. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> there's such a weird thing where it's like, hey man, this dude that I know who you, no one fucking knows has a roster that would challenge any of these guys. And I sort of see these people on like a daily basis and no, nobody knows who this fucking guy is. And if you did, you'd be like, wow, and what? This doesn't make any sense. So it's such a weird thing where there's like, there are people doing it that like nobody knows about too. And simultaneously, like, yeah, you can capture it by like reaching this like level of social media transcendence. It's, it's such an odd world, like in that respect. But like my brother never posts on socials has never got a client off social media. He makes more money than I do. Like I'm very comfortable now, but like, I feel like there's so many young trainers and this is the other side of the social media online trainer dream. Like I really do encourage trainers to develop their brand online, but I really encourage the hybrid business model. Just one, because like, that's how you learn to train people, but it's so financially lucrative. You pick up someone, you're in an urban area, you pick up a new client three sessions a week, that's 300 bucks a week, boom, like that. Like the yeah. turnover of online clients are just how cheap a product most people are usually sell. It's just, it's so underappreciated. And again, all these young trainers, they just want to train like young, sexy people. But like, man, if you want to get paid, it's like, get into the gen pop, go train all those people that sacrifice their health for wealth and go mm-hmm. tax them a bit. And like, honestly, if you want to take the pressure off yourself, because that's what allowed me to use social media as a throwaway and take those risks. It wasn't everything for me. It still isn't. Half my bread still gets buttered face to face. And like, I personally find that so fucking liberating when it then comes to sharing shit on social media. And especially with all the imposter syndrome that comes with being a bit of an Instagram personality. It's like, that's how I ground myself. And that's what makes me feel legit. Like, I know I see people every day and they value what I do. So the end of the day, Instagram's all icing on the cake. Right. And it can be a lot of icing. It can be, man. Like, I, I mean, I got out of training people at this point in time. Like, I don't train anybody. You know, it it is just like I have digital products and I teach seminars. And uh, it's almost a be careful what you wish for sort of a thing. Because you tell I me have, you couldn't open your books and get 30 sessions like fucking that. Though. Probably not. I've never been particularly really? good in at gaining personal training clients. Because who the fuck in Manhattan knows who the hell I am? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm not six, you know, I'm not six two. Like, I'm not the classical body type that most of the other personal trainers in the city are. Like, I'm this short fucking squat dude that, like, is, like, probably off-putting to a lot of uh, potential clients here just from, like, a demeanor standpoint, a look standpoint. And, uh, no, I've ne- I, I also just have ne- I never enjoyed doing the general population training. Because I'm like, uh, what are we going to fucking talk about? So, no, I was never, like, overflowing with clients with personal training. 
And again, like they don't fucking know who I am. Like I'm in this weird, super niche area of the world. So yeah, no, I just kind of like continued to target more and more the people that seem to be my demographic, which were right. other trainers and strength coaches. Uh, so it's, it's weird kind of like just following that trajectory, but yeah, like, uh, Manhattan personal training is weird. Like I, I don't, I still haven't exactly figured out the formula for it to tell you the truth. It's really bizarre. Like I thought I did from the perspective of, you know, you need to be, you need to make people comfortable being around you more than anything I think is really it in particular in this city city, because everyone's uncomfortable all the time and on edge and like weary. And I think that's a huge part of it. And then if you happen to be good looking and dress in a way that seems to make sense to them, like those seem to be really big factors, but like, I would say just being super comfortable around like whoever, if you are a person that other people are very comfortable being around, that's the key ingredient. Um, Yeah. You see it in some trainers. You're like, why does that guy have just his books full? But then it's like some yeah. people just have the touch. They're just a comfortable person to share space with. I think that's really it, you know? And uh, I don't know if I create that for a lot of general population people for whatever reason, you know? And I just have to, I just have to acknowledge like, look, I've never, never in the seven years of training in Manhattan, I never had like overflowing rosters, nothing like that. Like I'd have, a few people, four or five a day at tops. And, you know, that was all I ever wanted too. Cause it was like four or five people. And I'm like, Oh God, I, I need to not be around other gen pop clients right now. Like this is, I'm, I'm done. Um, people underestimate how demanding that is just like even the 30, 40 session week, some people just cranking out eight back to back. And then like, where does that leave you? like to then think about new ideas and things like that. Like that's one of the weirdest things about working for yourself and like being the whole thing. Like you actually have to create space to sit there, scratch your nuts, get bored and just dream shit up. But like, unless you've seen someone do that before, it's so hard to accept that. Like I always used to watch my dad just work 16 hour days. He was just an industrial chemical uh, cleaning supply salesman sort of thing, just on the road, on the phone, 16 hours a day, hustle, hustle, hustle. And like, I try to apply that to my PT business, but like ultimately to grow the thing and to have those fresh ideas and to make content, share ideas you need to just have this like at least 10 hours a week of just pure, just nothing time, I think. Yeah. It's, you know, and the other thing I look at is I, I just almost picture it like you have blocks of time, like just chunks, like a, like a cell in a spreadsheet. And if you train people, it's capped. You know what I mean? Like in this block of time, you can earn $120 for this period of time versus if you are somehow working on a product that can be sold going forward into the future. This block of time continues to earn money like over here and from a timeline perspective. Like it's until you've done that to engage with that creative process. Like I'm lucky because I feel like I saw people do it and I've made music with my buddies. Like you just get together in a garage and then it's a band that people come and see. But for so many fitness professionals, the idea to just sit there with nothing in front of them and just actually create something like whether it's a webinar or whether it's just an entire fitness system, it's like, that's just such a huge hurdle for so many people to overcome. It's, it's, I think, 
I, you know, I'm, I'm currently teaching a mentorship on creating a training model. And I would say that in just looking at the number of people that show up for each call, there's probably been an 85% drop off already from week one. And it's like week five or six right now, I don't know, somewhere in that ballpark out of 10. And, you know, I just see it as this example of kind of, so it's like, why, why is this? Because I guarantee like out of the people that started, I'm going to probably get 20% of them actually create a training model, something like that. But it's that they like whatever the pain point is of actually going through this process of taking a look at what you actually do and then writing it down is too much for most people. I have two, so two weeks of my eight week mentorship. It's not even, so I don't even have the boss because I know how scary that is for people to just write out their whole training system. My version of that is I just try to get them to design a little $20 download product or something. I'm like, just something that's a bit of a reflection of your model. And I've even questioned to myself, I'm like, do I take it out? Because I think 10% of the people who've even done my mentorship, maybe less have ended up releasing that product or even sitting down to at least design the thing. But I'm keeping it in because I know for the trainers that do actually fucking do it it's going to change their fucking life and it was the people who wrote brought that to my attention people like you people like jamie smith it changed my business forever from that day it just it's hard to explain once you're aware of what you do people used to ask me like why should i train with you i was like i'm good i just i'm just good i'm smarter than the other guys i i just I do everything a little bit better. And it wasn't until I just created a product. I was like, ah, this is what I do. It's staring back at me. And it's, you know, you know why it's scary? Because as a trainer who delivers face-to-face PT, I'm there to explain everything. Whereas the idea that someone's going to download my thoughts while I'm asleep on the other side of the planet, go straight into a gym and fuck everything up. And it's like, can I create a product? Because people talk about, so people talk, everyone's on this George box shit right now. It's like all systems are wrong, but it's like, there's something beautiful that McDonald's can teach a 14 year old how to make a burger on any corner of the fucking world. And it's pretty much the same burger. I'm like, there's yep. something to that. That's and exactly. If you can just tap into that. So many mm-hmm. trainers, like if you can tap into just a little bit of that. That's the exact analogy I give, man. The McDonald's concept. I probably got you know. it from you. I talk about like my first two pillars makes McDonald's cash cashiers. And yeah, because you've also got the pizza shop analogy, which is fucking a brilliant one for personal trains. It's like they're going to a pizza store, meet their expectations yeah. a little. Don't fucking sell them something weird, man. Like don't come over and be like, Hey, what you need is fucking tofu, bro. Like, uh, I don't know. That's yeah. why I was so proud of Armageddon. Like, I just wrapped up a bunch of, like, breathing drill principles in arm training. I'm like, this is it. I'm just pl- spraying chocolate syrup on everything. All those shitty shoulder drills you don't want to do. I'm like, mm-hmm. I made it into arm training. Will you eat that? Like, Right. Yeah, it's always inter- – I tried to do the same thing with med balls. But, you know, I do find the, the McDonald's thing so fascinating because – it's like the person that works at the register, they literally don't even know what anything costs anymore. Like there's just a picture. There's a picture of the orders. You know what I mean? Like, oh, the, the Big Mac. Boy, I just hit the picture of the Big Mac button. I don't know that it costs $1.79 or whatever. I don't type that into the machine. It's just I hit the picture of the button. And then unbelievably, this fucking thing slides down this metal chute, gets wrapped and puts. And it's like, well, where'd the bun come from like some crazy other place in the supply chain 
and trucking and shipping and fucking wildness and like some beef farm somewhere had a cow die for this fucking patty that went in between there and the lettuce comes from somewhere, the tomato from some and it all the managed farms to they get have here. to call when yeah. they want to change their menu, be like, you need to change the amount of cows that are born. Start birthing more cows. Like we're adding an extra patty and their, their alarms are going off and <laughs> It's insane. And fitness, we give up so quickly. And it's like, do you have any idea the level of sophistication and planning and strategic development that goes into making that burger slide down that fucking chute after this, like, miscreant just hit one button to, like, identify to another miscreant in the back to do this task? But someone thought it through on every level. And those levels just come together in a seamless manner. And we're like, ah, we can't have one trainer, you know, actually pull this shit off. I'm like, this is embarrassing. Like, it just, there's, if you think about it on every level and really strategically plan for it, there's no reason why you can't recreate great training easily everywhere, you know? And there's levels and We're looking it, like, for relative systemization. I feel like people get too caught up in it. It's like, we're looking for just relative systemization. It's fucking chaos at the moment. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you have thoughts on the barriers to that or what's involved with kind of cracking through that. Um, I really like the way James Smith views it. James Smith, the thinker, not the fat loss PT. And he always talks about kitchens because um, that's the thing. I think like if you, everyone talks about principles, but no one looks outside the fitness industry and the fitness industry is so primitive. And that's why I have an issue with sports science degrees to an extent as well. I'm like, look, with an engineering degree, I'm like, how long have we been building bridges for? Thousands and thousands of fucking years. It's like, we can stick that in the ivory tower because the rate of development in the systems has slowed down. But to slap fitness concepts into the ivory tower, James Smith talks about curriculums. As soon as you create a curriculum, it's out of date. And that is especially true of fitness. The other issue with like the systems in fitness is, uh, you look at why a kitchen runs so well. The head chef has done everyone else's role. So they are able to have empathy and technical conversations with everyone in the hierarchy and understand how they fit into the picture. When you look at something like the allied health model that I have to deal with as a personal trainer and everyone's told to stay in their fucking silo, stay in your lane. I'm not meant to know about pain or injury. I'm not meant to prescribe nutrition or anything like that. But even though everyone's so good at their jobs, they don't understand each other. And they can't have technical conversations with each other. So there's just, it's just this fucking shit show. There's no net benefit to the specialization of the role. So like, I think fitness has to focus on generalists and, and pushing people to become generalists because the industry is so primitive. And eventually we're going to get to the point where we can specialize in these things. And, and that's why I like these models. Again, like the compression expansion model. I love that because people like it's reductionist. I'm like, no, it's just this broad step back and be like there's two fucking movements let's go from there <laughs> yeah I, and because what that model like allowed me to over there and they all think that they produce force in different ways i'm like mm, a little bit based on the constraints of the task but what your body is actually trying to do is the same thing it's, you know, I lost you there for maybe like 20 seconds, uh, right as you were. Sorry, Australian into, internet. No, it's okay. Like, right as you were sort of saying like, hey, we have ex expansion and compression and it's the, 
the really the only two ways of moving. And then you kind of came back in again, right as you were saying, like the the force production absorption, like it's actually the right. same. Right. Okay. Thing. So the same as what I was saying, like the allied health model is dysfunctional because everyone's living in solos and there's no communication and integration. I look at it the same with the different human movement camps with powerlifting coaches and track and field coaches and Olympic weightlifting coaches. And I think they have a lot of the same issues and problems, but because they don't talk to each other because they're like, no, I'm a weightlifting coach. I only know about weightlifting stuff. I'm like, it's all the fucking same. Like mid stance in sprinting is just a unilateral version of the second pull in weightlifting. It's like, it's the same fucking stuff and just this idea of like a lot of these people are afraid of pronation like that's sort of interesting like this whole idea of gait and people like not everything's gait and i'm like it is though <laughs> you yeah. paying attention and like oh it's different it's not it's like it's still just ir for force production er for yielding and like, I remember when I heard you say, I, I was watching your power hour when you'd, you'd just been to the intensive and you drew that semicircle on the board and you're like, every movement, this is just explains it all. I was like, fucking bullshit, 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 bullshit. It's the craziest thing I've ever heard anyone say. And I just, even more and more I look at it, I'm like, oh yeah. It all, yeah, that, it all that fits. That arc Fuck me. is just, you know, kind of unbelievable. And it's funny when people, you know, because there's, there's plenty of people, I know Chasm has been very critical of the propulsion arc and i'm like what what do you like i don't even what's what is your criticism like i don't even understand your criticism like i know that you have arcs that are in line with poles of the fucking shape of the fiber and like what am i gonna i have to go through all of these fucking muscle shapes to ultimately get there like i don't i, I don't know like this this I, I what are you disagreeing with because it's kind of like there's different ways of i don't know i interpret it as wind up impact point follow through that's how i usually talk through it like uh, you know every motion every every concept even the arc of your life follows that like there's a build-up phase and then there's like this peak intensity and then there's like oh it's over it's it's we're through with that like it's it's just this universal concept of like you know we use these terms in weird ways oh there's a character arc in this story there's all of these things and it's kind of like I, I just see it as like, wow, I don't know how fucking Bill conceptualized this or where he first, like what, what was the germinating moment for this? But it's just such an unbelievably universal thing. And I mean, I know he sees it in terms of like space time and black holes and like something yeah. getting like, like sucked in. And then there's like, it just gets strung out and compressed. And then like two, it gets shot out the other end and like, and you see those shapes when you watch Interstellar, all the shit even there, John. I'm like, I see the compression. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. Jesus Christ. Like, this thing is a monster. And it's like, on some levels too, where you're like, well, Jesus, this explains like the way that like a heart works and lungs work. And it's the same fucking thing. It's just that hearts don't have bones and joints on them. So they're just sort of and like- Teaching this- people to create pressure. It was the only system where I was sort of able to explain how we manage pressure. I'm like, ah, oh, fucking A, like that's really helpful. And the only system that allows you, if you need to work with the transverse plane, if you deal with fucking locomotive athletes, it's like being able to fit everything into the transverse plane was so useful. And yeah, I don't like- care if it's made up because it is made up because everything's made up. 
Right, right. Do you want an accurate reflection of everything? It's like, no, I want something that's useful. I want something that gets me to my next level that I can apply this shit to. And like, that's what it did for me. No one could deal with all the knees in bullshit that happens in weightlifting. No one could explain to me why there was all these different techniques. And I'm like, oh, it's the wides and the fucking narrows. Oh, the pronations, the force production. Like, there's no way around it. You have to push something into the ground. Like, it just, like I said, I love how much it supposedly was reductionist and oversimplified everything. It's so people came at it from so many different angles, and it's the same way that people come at Kasem's thing from two different angles. And and I can't work out what he says about because sometimes it's like it's so simple, why don't you get it? But then he's like, no, you have to do the course so you understand it. But then he always criticizes all the people that have done these courses, like no, none of them get it. And I'm like, dude, all the things you say about the other systems, you're looking in the mirror. Yeah, we're all just wrapping lats and pecs around rib cages here, brother. Like, let's get a bit of kumbaya going on. Whereas he just wants to go up to everyone else who's got a similar idea to him. Like, nah, fuck that. It's like, I reckon, like, because I know the only person I've heard him say a good thing about is Tom Purvis. And I immediately, I was like, who's Tom Purvis? I went down this rabbit hole. I realized I was pretty ignorant not knowing who Tom Purvis was. He invented the Bowflex. But I listened to Tom Purvis on another podcast. And like, sure enough, first thing he's sort of talking about, the guy's like, what's one of the best tips you got for like training pecs? He's like, you just got to think about breathing and the rib cage and like the position of the rib cage. I'm like, ah, this is, I wonder if it's just like, it's the marketplace of ideas and everything is just marketing at the end of the day. And I think he's just sort of trying to position himself. He's like, if I shit on PRI, maybe that indirectly shits on the per like i don't know i have my theories on it all but i I've, i just yeah. i love looking at all the fitness industry camps i love observing it and i love the history <laughs> of all these systems and and where it'll come from like all the poliquin derived like how powerful how powerful is the influence still of poliquin the same way jesus is still such an influence on our society yeah. today like i walk yeah. down the street jesus apparently died two thousand years ago still sees buildings we are still seeing like the ATG thing is an arm of polyquin at the end of the day. The N1 stuff, it's it just is. reeks of biosig. And- it's 100% oh, a polyquin model. That's all We're it really is. We're digging our way out of the cardio kills you gains thing. Like they post that one fucking photo of a sprinter on T Nation and it ruins zone two cardio for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just put the, the the jack sprinter next to like the dying yeah, endurance look like. runner. It just looks like this fucking skeleton that like it's like weekended Bernie's next to like this like you know this dude that just looks like you could like rip the fucking head off of an elk or something like that. That's the new thing. All these longevity coaches are peddling this like, oh don't jog, jogging's bad for the body. You gotta sprint. I'm like, you guys are fucking idiots. Like you yeah. don't know what sprinting is then. It's like I'm not anti-sprint, I fucking love it. It's one of the craziest demonstrations of athletic potential there is, and I love it for that. But yeah, if you are healthier than shocking, (laughs) I've tried it with general population people. You'd have them try to run fast and they just blow up. It's just like, what? Uh, First of all, it doesn't even happen. Like they just don't even. It's not sprinting. It's it's the same as medicine ball throws. You're like, hey, really hammer this thing into the wall. And it's like, "Ah." you know, it's like, oh, you can't do it. Like you don't have that gear. It's not in you. You missed whatever critical phase of development would give you that like synchronized burst. But yeah, like there's, they're like, the sprint is like, I'm like, this is literally the same speed as the middle and, and like, there's no differentiation, but the, I don't know, 1%. Yeah, it's like is, max velocity after the first step. Yeah, it's like, well, how did, like, this is not a sprint, but then like, they are technically like 
for them sprinting and they just hurt themselves immediately. And I'm like, Oh God, I'll never do that again. This was clearly a bad idea. Like I really need to. So, I mean, I have my thing with general population clients where I just say, it's the same as driving a Toyota Corolla. You know what I mean? Like you just, you, you, you don't jump them. You don't do donuts with them. You don't try to race them down the chute for like, you know, see how fast they can do this particular thing. You just drive them normal. Like you drive them normal. And Every like, personal trainer though has that Toyota Corolla client that they have tried to put on two wheels though. Everyone at some oh, point will. A hundred percent. I've done all the dumb shit with the Toyota Corollas and I'm like, Oh, that's why it was stupid. Like I was trying to like race it. Like it was a Lamborghini and like pull something behind me. Like it was a Mack truck and no, it's a Toyota Corolla. Like I should have just been driving at the speed limit. And my like, favorite is um prep coaches that just train gen pop like there's just not enough people that actually want to participate in bodybuilding to like meet like how many people there are that want to coach and prep clients for shows and things like that and yeah. the gen pop cop it so fucking hard like I'm, i i got out of the fat loss space very early on i've never had to go on a diet in my life like one of the things that genuinely ruined weightlifting for me was like i just suck at bulking I will train the house down. I just, I don't have a good appetite. I would stuff my face to the point of puking. And that's just what got to me at the end. I just, but yeah, I'm yeah. so glad I got completely away from that space of just watching Gen Pop just get massacred by these bodybuilding coaches in the gym. <laughs> and the, weird... like, the taste of fitness, that the average person's exposure to fitness is a bodybuilding prep. Uh, that and, and like I love it when people say that like so much of it is like vaguely reminiscent of bodybuilding training, but I'm talking about everything that goes into it, like the neurotic yeah. diet, the too rigid of a pro. It's like, did the gen pop need that? Well, I'm I might have started the concept of like you know training personal client training clients is like making the world's worst bodybuilders. Like I I believe that because. It's like, if you look at the fundamentals of bodybuilding, it's kind of like you're doing moderate load that reaches proximity to failure with, you know, for the purpose of trying to add muscle tissue. And then you strategically try to eat in ways that would be muscle tissue or fat loss. And if you listen to the goals that general population clients come into, you're like, okay, well, it's actually just based on like muscle acquisition and fat loss. So like I would ultimately be taking you down the same road. It's just that like I have to appreciate you're going to be so bad at navigating this road yeah. that it's going to be comical. And so like uh, like what I'm shooting for is actually like yeah, I'm going to I'm going to talk to you about food, but I'm looking for like maybe 65% compliance. And then when it comes to the resistance training and the cardio cuz that is kind of a part of it as well. Like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to ultimately, like, it's, it's all going to come down to your effort. You know what I mean? Like a bodybuilder's effort is like a box that's usually checked pretty well. The main box to check for the resistance training is going to be effort for the gen pop. But it's kind of like, if I make you literally, like, if there's, if there's a, a, just a whole sheet of boxes for what it would take to be a successful bodybuilder, if I get you to check 15% of those boxes, I'll probably have actually done the best job possible with you that I could have for the stated goals that you have. 
And like, I don't yeah. expect you to be any better than 15% of all the things that would go into making someone a successful bodybuilder. So it's kind of like, but I think it's just based on like, well, if I actually just zoom out and I listen and think about like what's involved with, cause it's like, even when they say like, my goals are health and well-being, I'm like, okay, well, can we define health and well-being? Like, I suppose it probably lives in this like research on mortality and activities of daily living. And that sort of points out that like the two most quantifiable realms are muscle mass and VO2. So if I get you to lift weights and do cardio and not be as fat, it probably like feeds into this realm. So that's still kind of bodybuilding. I think what my perspective was and why I feel the way I do is I came into the industry at the tail end of Poliquin group existing before the emergence of strength sensei. And I just walked into the worst of what you're describing, where it's not that, where it's GVT, earn your carbs, no cardio, high stressed CEO, heart attack at 50. Yep. And that's a very real thing. And I saw so much of that. And I just had this revulsion to it. And I went too cute with it. I'm the kind of guy, if when I run into Gen Pop, like I'll try to expose you to physical culture in the way that gets me excited. And I'll be showing you all the things that get me excited. Like it'll fail on most people, but what I'm going to connect with those people. And I know when it works, they're going to be, they're not going to be someone who likes, accepts fitness. They're going to be someone who actively engages with fitness for the rest of your life. But I also realize that that's way too romantic and cute for most gym floor trainers. The actual practical ideal is exactly what you're describing when it's like, it's the principles, but then you've just watered it down to actually make it palatable. That's really, I think it, like, I completely understand what you're saying. I can picture it. And I, I worked with a guy at Brooklyn college, another professor in that department who used to specifically reference like his, his thing was like avoid it, like risk management, essentially. And like litigation problems within like personal trainers getting sued and like trying to teach our students how to not get sued. And so he would always actually reference exactly what you're talking about with crash dieting and German volume training specifically. And it just being like, look, like you got to understand that if you are within at least the confines of the American College of Sports Medicine or you know, uh, NASM or at least one of these governing bodies, as long as you're close to the spectrum of like following their general guidelines, you're probably going to have a leg to stand on if someone does sue you. But if someone finds out that this person had this event happen as a result of German volume training in their training session, and they discover that you prescribed a diet that was like extremely low carbohydrate and energy uh, restricted simultaneously, like you're screwed, like you're, you're so screwed. And it's, it's an insane thing to do to someone as well. So it's, it's completely that it's just sort of like, in my mind, if you just look at the principles of hypertrophy and fat loss, and then you just look at where does this stuff start? It's like, well, it's progressive overload and being able to just like witness someone over time create a better relationship with understanding energy balance for their body and how to from time to time strategically manipulate it well and you know what's weird like me as a personal trainer i have literally never engaged with exercise for health 
it's so hard for me to like wrap my yeah, head around. I love either, surf, yeah, I love sure. smashing tin and like, I think that's so, and because even I try to think of it, because I used to get so high and like people being so anti-strength training, we have these huge overcorrections as a fitness industry. Now we're at the point where like deadlifts are actually good for your back. Like, bro, if you can't deadlift 200 kilos, your back's actually unhealthy and you kind of nailed it. I'm like, hey, look, deadlifting's not bad for your back, but literally everyone involved in a strength sport that I know, it's like, it's a running joke how everyone's knees, back, shoulder, yeah. whatever i'm like what's what's good for you i'm like i kind of think the health thing runs like you only need to just soul bay in a little bit it's like yeah like a one set of five deadly sweet i'm like if we're only pursuing health seeking outcomes but then there's also this other thing of like you have to give a fuck about the thing to pursue it forever and i don't know anyone that can show up for the next 50 years and just do like a couple of 60 kilo deadlifts be like i just want to be able to pick a kid up so i'm preparing myself for the demands of my life i'm like there's whole, this whole other component to it as well yeah. You know, I, I, I just look at like on some level you have to, the sooner that you can shift someone away from an ambiguous goal towards at least something quantifiable is a very good approach to being able to create adherence, you know, and like it, it can be almost anything, but it, the more that it makes sense as a quantifiable goal, the better, because it's like, I don't know. I just look at a lot of this as like the more that we can make, stories and narratives that are compelling align with actual like evidence that demonstrates adaptations that are real the the more likely we are to like actually be able to merge the best of all worlds and like right now it's sort of like we we have i don't know narratives that are compelling that don't necessarily like align with anything that's real but the data people don't give enough of a fuck about the story right then they don't respect the story and how emotional we are it's like just it's you're not meant to be emotional and you're not meant to be biased but you need to accept that you are hate when people refer to themselves as unbiased i'm like like you don't know what bias means or just when people like change your biases i'm like you don't know what bias means Mm -hmm. yeah i'm gonna choose to change my bias in this highly emotional and contentious conversation it's like go fuck yourself we need this acceptance it's like your feelings are always kind of going to be there you need to just acknowledge them and then speak from that you know again i i look at there's i think the root of most of these things is fear you know and fear and challenge and threat and when and that gets wrapped up in identity and like so it's kind of like, oh, I'm an evidence-based fitness person. Oh my God, like what? That's how you define yourself? Like, I hope I never define myself as an evidence-based fitness person. Like, no, I'm like, hi, I'm What Pat. do I nice think the other you. people are doing? Yeah. What do they think everyone, everyone is using their own idea of evidence. Mm-hmm. 90% of people who have evidence-based in their, 99% of people who have evidence-based in their bio don't read research. I refuse to believe that most of this industry reads research. Just like whenever I see Franco and Pelizzeri, just, just, she just tear through a body of research, like acute chronic work rate. Or when I see a work paper, oh, sorry, uh, the Greg Knuckles white paper on all that Barbalo research, I'm like, all you guys who said you were reading research, because I don't, I don't claim to read much. I don't like I read research as it interests me. I don't bury myself reading research for hours and hours on ends because it doesn't, it's such a hard way to distill information. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like I just need a, a quicker rate of intake than that. But yeah, it just, it blows my mind. Just like this pretending of reading research. I'm like, are you sure? Like and, and it's scientism, what evidence-based practice has become. It's this worship of the idea of numbers and things. And that, that's why I love Nassim Taleb. He's a guy who worked in economics, who worked in risk management. And he was like, we have to respect qualities. Not everything can be boiled down to a data point. Like even like in an economy, like people have feelings. There's no such thing as the rational economic man and things like that. It's, it's the same in fitness. Like not a person, not all these qualities can get boiled down to a data point. Yeah. And again, it's, I just think that it's like, there's such a, a degree to which someone's whole being hinges on this concept. And the more that like you, you, your essence is hinging on an, a singular point of identification. I'm like really worried about that. You know what I mean? I always like, think, can I come back from this? Because there are some things, Liver King. Yeah. What, he's, and like, oh, he, he just can't turn back. I don't think no, he wants to yeah. anyway. But like, I think about myself as Liver King and like, that would be such a growing anxiety because already you're like, all right, I've committed to this idea for life so I can just ignore all future evidence. And it's now about the maintenance of this story. Like, and, and there's so many people who have done it to themselves to a lesser degree, but it's still like selling a lot of books and like, you know, you're thousands of books deep. And like, I wonder how I would feel about that. If I'd said something like real hardcore in the pre-internet fitness age, I've been like, never flex your spine. Otherwise your spine will just explode. And I sold millions of dollars worth of books. Like, wow, I would need therapy. Yeah. That's hectic. That's so hectic. I don't know if yeah. one man can face that. That's sometimes people don't know what they're asking to someone. And I think they don't have enough respect as hard as I've been on certain people. Like I always do try to acknowledge. I'm like, oh, you're in a hectic position, but it's because of the things that you've said. And the way right. that you said it. Yeah, you've painted yourself into a corner. <clears throat> and then there's a complete and total fear of what would happen of trying to come out of that corner. You know, and to me, I'm like, I don't really give a shit. Like, if I think something, if I really think, I'm just going to say it. And what's the worst that could happen? And I, yeah. I'm like, look, yeah, sure, I'm a hypocrite. Yeah, you know what? Because I learn over time and I can change my mind. I can be presented with something new that makes more sense. And be like, hey, you know that thing I used to say and think? Like, I don't really think that way anymore. Here's why I used to think that way. But this came along and replaced it. And I think this is a much more reasonable, sensible approach. So, yeah, you know, like, I don't feel bad about feeling that way before. But yeah. I, I have grown from that place. This is my perspective because that's like there's so much group think in the fitness industry and especially as you come into it when you're young. Like I remember when I came into the fitness industry, people were just like obsessed with extending thoracic spines. Yeah. And like, it was the PRI people and it was you. That were the, and I'd been on that train as well, which is weird because I knew from the, I remember just when I was young, you look in the doctor's office, they've got a photo of a spine. Thoracic spine has a curve in it. Got into the fitness industry, everyone wanted the thing to be straight. And then I heard PRI people, and I heard you people saying like, no, no, thoracic spine Fun's meant to be curved and I was like I knew that the whole time and I hate myself for going along with the group thing because I knew it I fucking knew it uh, uh, there's so many things like that and yeah. I'm like if I was just honest from the start about what I saw if I just had the balls to just call it as I saw it that could have been my idea you know I I used to teach FMS principles at, at, a, at college when I was a professor I learned the whole thing I mean I was having people extend t-spines and fucking you know, T-spine, T-spine, T-spine. 
And I was a hundred percent on board with that a hundred percent. And it's like, then all of a sudden I took a DNS course and then it led me to PRI and it, you know, all these other things. And it's kind of like, whoa, the whole other trajectory that I was following has been superseded by this. This makes way more sense. And so I can speak to like, you know, look like this was this, this knowledge point I was at where I really put my whole stock in extending a thoracic spine. I was having people lay on foam rollers and really work over it. And like prone with elbows on a fucking bench. And yeah, like, the in the back. Yeah. yeah. Like, Hey, I've been there. I've done that. You know, I've done these fucking natural glued ham raises looking like I'm getting electrocuted. I've done all that sort of stuff. Like, and hey, I, I probably even have videos of it from 10, 15 years ago or something like that. But this other thing came along that has now replaced it. And uh, that's where I am now. And, and I'm sure that five years from now, I'll be singing a different song. And I'm like, it's fine. And, and so I, I, Mike Boyle has always been a pretty good influence on me. And I love the fact that he's always said, like, I reserve the right to change my mind. And it's kind of like, I don't like, that's the stuff I take away from him. I first, I think he's done a great job with really looking at things categorically, creating really good, like creating his own system, his own approach, uh, not being afraid to like <clears throat> speak up and challenge. And, and he certainly isn't someone that looks like a huge dude. You know, he was a OG in terms of like, look, man, I'm a, I'm not a physically impressive person. I don't give a fuck. I'll stand here and say what it is I think. And I don't care if you're this 300 pound bald headed monster with the fucking goatee that like, yeah, I know you could snap my spine, but you're fucking wrong. Okay. And deal with it. And so I'm, I'm like a, this, sorry. he's got balls and you know, he's, he has changed over the years and maybe he hasn't changed in a while, but good luck to you when you're 60. You know what I mean? Let's see how much you're changing. Exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, you know what I think speaks a lot about Boyle's legacy? Like, so many it's that second generation of trainers that benefited from that internet access and that spread of information hindsight that just again because mike boyle did get people into a little bit of that you have to have a training product and a system if you want to impact people at a population level and it's live by the sword die by the sword he's probably died by the sword a little bit more lately well probably i think he's still fucking crushing it honestly i don't think that guy built his business on social media but yeah it it is sort of interesting now he just is that old man yelling at cloud on social media but like i think this is a perfect place for him to just go out to pasture metaphorically it's like his face-to-face business is still crushing it he gets to like lob grenades into the social media arena and trigger all these young coaches who are then like ripping their hair up like how could he think this i'm like how could he think anything else Think about his life. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like, do you appreciate where this guy came from and what he's meant? (laughs) You're so focused on this one thing now of whatever the fuck, you know, like. When did he start PTM? Yeah. When, when did he start? Yeah. uh, I would probably say, I'm not even a hundred percent sure. I know that, you know, like he's like, I'm from, I went to Springfield college, like, Boyle's from that Springfield College legacy. I know that when he went to Springfield College, his resident director for the building that he went to was Mike Wycheck. And Mike Wycheck 
has more Super Bowl rings than anyone in NFL history over here. Uh, and because he was the strength and conditioning coach for uh, the, the New York Giants when they won Super Bowls, the Dallas Cowboys when they won Super Bowls in the 90s, the New England Patriots when they won Super Bowls in the early 2000s. I think Three this, different teams. Yeah. I, I think wow. this dude, you know, he has like nine or ten Super Bowl rings. And, um, you know, so I just think like he had to have been a student there, like coming out of there probably in the 80s. And uh, and then would have been kind of getting professional after that point. So I, I would I would estimate probably the late 80s. You know what I mean? So it's it's like, yeah. And, and it's crazy because you could arguably say that the greatest or the most successful American public sector strength and conditioning coach was the resident director in the building that the most successful private sector strength and conditioning coach has. Yeah, it's not a coincidence. Or was it like, if you want to argue that that's a coincidence, I'm asked pretty hectic. It's not because I know that Boyle used to hang out with them and they used to read all the Russian textbooks together. You know what I mean? And that was the beauty of that school is it's like, Hey, this is the only place to go. If, If you want to be like a freak of intelligence as it pertains to exercise, this is the school, you know what I mean? And um, and it was like that when I was uh, a professor there as well, where I think about some of the students that were there and like they're in the same place, the same building there. And, and oftentimes that's how it works. And I feel like that's what's being lost nowadays, too, is like hanging out with your buddy that loves this shit just as much as you yeah. and just sort of like, you know, kind of dealing with each other, you know, like, yeah. hey, what what's I'm, I'm, I can remember when I was early in my career, just being obsessed with, you know, periodization models and concurrent versus conjugate and like losing fucking sleep at night being like, ah, I'm trying to figure out this conjugate model thing. And I read this Mel Sif and like, there was nobody to talk to, you know, I didn't have another person. I didn't have an RD that was like, Hey man, I read this thing. What does this fucking mean? Cause I know you read this three years ago and you probably figured it out by now. You know, I was trying to scour anywhere I could, but you know, nowadays, instead of that being the case, it's much more that we're just like, hey, this is how big my fucking dick is. How big is yours? Oh, shit. Yours is a fucking millimeter bigger than mine. Fuck. Now I have to, like, go kill myself or something like that. But it's this horrible comparison, like, threat world of social media, rather. because And I feel like the face-to-face and the actual conversation gets lost with some of that stuff. Because it's like, I have to roll out my content today and see how many fucking likes it gets and yeah. compare that to like, oh, this fucking asshole over here doesn't know half the shit I do. Got fucking, you know, 20% more likes than me. This is bullshit. The world's fucked up. Fuck that guy. Like, But that, I love, but like, I'm so grateful that I host a podcast. I get to come on podcasts like this and have these great, like conversations like this is so exciting for me. And it also allows me to not feel so bad about engaging in that sort of behavior myself on social media. And like some people say like, Angus, you're just the way you behave and communicate so out of line, but I'm like, you can go listen to these podcasts. Like I know how to behave with people I like and like have nice chats and and bounce ideas back and forth. It's just sort of, I don't want to do that on Instagram. I don't think that I did this, me talking in this tone, think that's going to get me racks on instagram no i gotta go there shit fuck this is fucked how can you do this like you need to get people emote and that's why i don't like this cool objectivity i'm like there is nothing objective about any of this it's all so highly emotionally driven i'm like 
can we embrace a little bit of that? Mm, a very good point, man. Yeah. And like, they're probably, yeah, the context, the time, the place, like this is the time and place to just sort of shoot the shit. The other one is kind of the time and place to talk the shit and get everybody. Like, you know, when you, I've seen you do posts where you just, you've made a real witty statement. It's maybe a little shot at someone and then someone will literally paraphrase a comment. And it's, it's sometimes it's not even disagreeing that much. Be like, oh man, I don't know if this is the time or place for that. Even when, dude, when people link PMIDs in comments and people are like, you didn't post any PMIDs with the things you said. I'm like, dude, this is actually fucking social media. <laughs> and, it blow, and, it like, and people are like, oh, there's such a problem in the fitness industry. I'm like, what do you mean? So Instagram fitness is literally PubMed. Like, yeah. that ain't it either. <laughs> it's so crazy, man. So what do you, what do you think is next for you kind of like going forward? Um, so I had a good think about that this year because for so many years I was just fighting for survival as a personal trainer. And I finally got my face to face business in a stable position. And then COVID just completely destabilized me. And then I have still got my face to face business coming out the back end of COVID, but then I have this online thing. So I just, I was like, I actually need to think about like what I actually want to do. Cause like I said, when you're just trying to survive, you don't have that thing about what, what could I do? I had so many self-limiting beliefs, but I want to move back to my hometown in Wollongong. It's, it's a great sporting town and there's no S and C facility. When, when your kid's growing up and he's showing some potential at footy, I want it to be like, Hey, why isn't your kid at Angus's gym? Uh, I want to just have that private sector facility. I want to be the Eric Cressy of Wollongong. Um, and, and I, what, like, cause as well, like, I don't want to give up on the content thing cause I love making content, but what I've realized is that having a space, cause I just work in a CrossFit box and, and it's so amazing. They even let me in the building, but like when I want to shoot a video, they're just trying to do a class man and it's chaos. Whereas if I had a space that I was in control of and I could make content to spread out with the world, but then like impact athletes in a real face-to-face way on a local level and like, and create a marketing Wollongong that I don't believe exists yet. Um, that, that's sort of the plan for the next sort of few years. But there's, there's a lot to, to pull that off. It's kind it's of fun funny how, it. yeah, a lot of, and I can relate, man. I think I would personally really like to train like high school age athletes. Oh, yeah. it's the best. It's yeah. the fucking best. It's Everyone the best I've talked to. Yeah. You know, every pro strength and conditioning coach I talked to, I'm like, what do you want to do when you're done with all this? And they're like, I kind of want to go back and like work with kids more. And I'm like, I totally get it. You know, and we all say that until you have to fucking deal with them. And then you're like, oh, do hectic shit kid. with them. Like that Corolla, it's like a Corolla that's indestructible. It's yeah. like, it doesn't behave predictably, but you can still get it to do some pretty cool shit and you can have an impact. This idea, yes. like working with pro athletes, it's like, it's not, they don't give a yeah. fuck. They can go to someone else and get it. They don't need yeah. you. Neither does the high school kid, but you can do something for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, you're going to deal with the majority of them that are just like such little dicks. You know what I mean? Cause there's no bigger dick than like a fucking 15 year old dick. Like they're the worst, the <laughs> absolute worst where you're just like this fucking kid. Oh God. But at the same time, like there's so much life in that population. And if you can make a difference, you see the impact and the trajectory that takes off. And it's the coolest thing in the world. It just takes time. It's like, people are so impatient. It's like, what do you want? You want day one to be the fucking day where you make this like, you know, movie montage and change this person's life. Give it some fucking time. It takes time for them to build trust with you, 
rapport, like to appreciate what you're doing. They're fucking scared when they come in and they try to play it off like they're cooler than, you know, than they actually are. No, like allow it to build. And once it catches, it's, you know, it's a fire. Well, and, and, and that I, this concept of like manipulating the environment, like whether it's constraining an exercise, but then like, cause that's what I've had uh, to be master of an environment. It's like to, to get someone to move in a certain way without me saying it, but then like doing that at a facility level, like just playing mm. this game of like, you know, that game dust where it's just like an online game on a webpage, you put various chemicals into a box and just see how they interact, but you can't be inside the box. You could just spray shit into it. Like that's the, I'm like, Oh, to just like view it as this like environmental experiment, be like, how can I not directly interact with these kids, but then get them to behave the way I want and need them to. Like, I reckon that that is just a challenge that could entertain me until I roll over and die. I love that. I, I don't know that game. That sounds super interesting. I've never heard of that. Or like, uh, I'm gonna take a. I'm gonna look for that one because that sounds. I don't even. This was something I played in like when I was fucking around in maths class in high school. So it's called uh-huh. Dust, and it's just a little HTML site. And <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, it's online. All right. I thought it was like a real, yeah. like a fucking box, like spray. No, no. Like, I'll try to find it. Really it's just this hypothetical thing. It's like, yeah. all right, I'm gonna spray a bunch of acid here, and then I'll spray some arsenic in here. And I'll, I've got some lead here, and yeah. <laughs> This, this is a fucking crazy game. I'm going to not try to bring this thing into an airport with me. Uh, <laughs> well, look, I want to be respectful of time and, and everything else. Like, it, this has really been a pleasure. I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to, you know, speak in person as close as, as, as possible for it. Um, you know, and I, I definitely, I would love to get over to Australia. I had some plans on trying to do so before COVID and it's just, like everything else, the planning and the logistics are super. You could difficult. crush a lot of seminars here. I'm telling you. Yeah, I would. I would love to. So I, I hope maybe within the next year and a half, two years, something like that, to make that happen. But um, it would be really cool to just be able to meet in person, hang out, train, but the whole thing. Because I, you know, that's that's me. Like I feel like when people actually meet me, they're like, "Oh, you're just a fucking bro." Like, you know, you just want to like actually train. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, the people I meet. Like, cause you're someone, I've been so critical of like people getting so wound up in the details. I'm like, no, 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 no. Cause that's exactly what drew me to you. I was like, as soon as I saw you, I'm like, this guy can handle the details. But when it comes time to train, it's like, just fucking send it. Yeah. Like, get it. Yeah. And Some like, people just get it. Right. You know, I, and it's like, I, that's what I got into it for. I like to compete and play sports and fucking get after it and sweat and like, and hang out with other people that like to do the same thing. Like I came up in, in sports like that, like football, baseball, jujitsu, like Muay Thai. And, and also like, I just think that it's cool to compete and stuff because all of your ideas that you fucking hang on to so tightly, like you're going to go against this other dude that does something completely the opposite and they might bust you up. And it's like, now what, you know what I mean? Like you have to come face to face with the fact that like a lot of fucking things can work. And And so many people can't fit that into their model. Yeah. You just nailed it. Cause like, I, and it's a big thing I go through in my mentorship. Like everyone romanticizes USSR periodization. I'm like, well, what about Bulgarian periodization? They literally just fucking maxed out all day and took d It's like, fuck you, USSR <laughs> style periodization. I'm like, literally everyone's like, only idiots max out every day. I'm like, well, actually the most successful weightlifting team of all time literally just maxed out all day. And if you can't process that, if you can't yeah. find a way to rationalize, why did that work? And there were special circumstances, yeah. but 
you have to be able to fit all the results into your model. Otherwise, you're just sticking your head in the fucking sand. I, I remember going to a strongman national championship. And, you know, the guy that won my weight class was a coal miner from Kentucky that used to be a soccer player. And he was drunk the morning of weigh-ins. And this dude was such a psychological savage. Like, he just went out there and it was basically like, just like a, this dude was as full send psychologically as anybody you could ever meet in your life. And he just went out there and was just balls to the fucking wall the whole time and dominated. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh, here I am with my fucking fancy degrees and periodization schemes. Yeah, the doctor. Yeah. And it's like, this dude just fucking wiped the floor with me. And it's like, that to me, like, people need to just fucking put themselves out there and just keep eating slice after slice of humble pie. And like, hey, man, if your shit was that great, like, I, I, okay, so like another example, I was uh, training with uh, Don Saladino out of his place and he's got a TV screen up in his gym and we just have Ronnie Coleman videos on showing his old training at fucking okay. Metroflex in Texas. And he's training on the shittiest shoulder machine I have ever seen in my life. And I'm like, this fuck. Okay. Like if I would love to know what fucking chasm thinks about this shoulder machine. Yeah. <laughs> I want him to narrate it. I want him to narrate it. Please. Kaz, I, he's, would he, does he listen to your, there's no way he listens to podcasts. I'm going to get him anymore. on here. You know what I mean? For sure. Like, so you know? still say, oh, please, please. Cause yeah, I do like, find I the guy genuinely everybody. entertaining. Yeah, yeah, I want to get everybody on. I want to get fucking Seedman on here. Everybody, like, I think that would be amazing. But I'm like, bro, this machine is the biggest piece of shit I've ever seen in my life. And he clearly loves this fucking machine. Like, it yeah. sucks. And it actually, like, I was watching him. It switched between a lateral raise, which looked like a shit. Oh, so it's raise, not even a dedicated. And an overhead. press. Yeah. And it's just, he's just sitting there, ah, you know, just going wild on this thing. And I'm like, this fucking thing is not lining up with his deltoid penation angle or whatever the fuck is critically important but he's working hard and progressively overloading it in some way shape or form and it's 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 checking a box for resistance training good enough like it, you at a certain point like you could be like well this is why he's fucking crippled and it's like possibly fucking possibly there's a million other reasons as well that we don't know his fucking life story he's probably fucking right racing dirt bikes as a kid like, so I'm just like, look, man, you gotta fucking step outside your shit and just like get out in the fucking world, work out with other people. Like the the less that you do that, the more you just become fucking weird and like so isolated in your own weird bullshit. The silos are the toxic things. You need to push these things together, especially at the stage that the fitness industry is in. It's um it's decentralized yeah. tinkering, like go off in your little silo. But then you got to come back and p- compare notes. Yeah, man. Hang and out if you know the compression tribes. expansion model, you'd be able to have a really good language to compare notes, in my yes. opinion. Yes, yes. And like, I, I just, I'm like, first of all, yeah, like it, it's not a fucking a thing that like applies to any particular system. It's just like, hey, I it's think not it's prescriptive. Cool. It's descriptive. Exactly. That's what people don't. People think it's prescriptive. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're just hearing the way people are using it, and you get yeah. too caught up in that. It's descriptive. Whatever you're already doing, you're just going to view it in a different way, and that is the most powerful shit. When you can just change the way someone views what they already do, 
mm-hmm. and fit it into a system like that. Ah, so much value in it. It's great. But yeah, it really is people great. can't. Well, I think this is a, so where can people find out more about you? Um, you know, and I can also uh, link everything. I'm, I'm doing a few of these. I'm going to, I'm going to make this an official thing. And at some point in time, I just want to ca- gather a bunch of these interviews and have them all kind of roll out together. Yeah. But, so you can just be nonstop once it starts. So if you want to yeah. find me, best place is just Angus Bradley, nine, two on Instagram. I host a podcast called the high performance podcast. You can find all the links through my link tree and things like that. I've got a few programs for sale. If you want to get an idea of how I go about training people, um but yeah other than that just tune into the podcast listen to me shoot the shit with people like pat davidson i have to get you on soon and um keep an eye out for wollongong's first specific and premium uh strength and conditioning facility sometime around 2024 well i wish you the best of luck with that pursuit it sounds amazing and this was just such a great conversation i've been looking forward to talking to you and like uh it 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 lived up to what i was hoping because i was like this just is I, I got a good feeling this is a good dude and we're going to have a really good conversation. And, and uh, for me, I, I, I know it's probably nighttime for you. It's like morning for me. So it's always weird when you have like the opposite ends of the world trying to come together on these things. But I was like, anybody that's fucking Australian with a stash and a mullet, man, that's a fucking dude I want to know. That's exactly what I try to build. the. That's exactly the message and how I want to come across. So thank you for making me feel seen. Absolutely, man. Well, hey, enjoy the rest of your evening, I would imagine. And uh, I would love to get on your podcast. Yeah, let's let's run it back. And uh, again, I wish you the best of luck and thank you so much. No worries. I'll get to bed. I'll chat to you soon.